it's intentional. Like they're throwing stuff at you, but kind of mess with everyone's pers- uh, perspective. Yep, yep. All, All right. right, let's get into it. All right, I'll go ahead and start the intro. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host Tom. With me again is Will and Bruce. Hey, everybody. Hey, do we think he might have just eaten some bad cheese? Because I had this happen once when I had bad cheese. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that was actually a special mushroom I uh, mixed in the the cheese dip, Bruce. Okay, but yeah, okay. Sorry, uh, that was jumping ahead. Hi. Hey. All right, so um, we're continuing our John Carpenter marathon, and today we're covering. It was not a hit for him, but man, has it got a big following, and boy, does it have a kind of crazy uh, storyline. We're uh, talking about from 1994, starring Sam Neill in The Mouth of Madness. Yep. Uh, so, fun story. This is considered to be the third movie in the unofficial john carpenter apocalypse trilogy the first one being the thing and the second one being prince of darkness um two of those movies have devoted cult followings and are often held up as good to not if not great examples of their genre the other one is prince of darkness yeah and here's the thing prince of darkness not a bad movie prince of darkness a for not one that everybody talks about pretty much the least remembered or least buzzed about of his films it's a pretty forgettable film, honestly. Um, it's not, like, awful, but it veers off into weird territory a little too much, and it's like the proto-Ghosts of Mars. Well, I mean, the proto... I mean, that's when we get to Ghosts of Mars, we'll be talking about Assault on Precinct 13. Carbon likes to reuse ideas. Now, th- However, this one's interesting because I think we can both agree. He's kind of sad. This film is satirizing quite a few things, including Carpenter's own career, doing Christine, which I think is a kind of interesting sub-point. So, Will, I'd love for you to do a quick summary of this movie, if you can explain it in, like, uh, five minutes. Oh, five minutes, absolutely. Five seconds, a lot harder. But essentially... Oh, I, 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 um, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, man goes looking for fraud, finds out he's a character in a book, hilarity ensues. I, I, I dispute the last sentence. <laughs> I, I don't know. He was laughing pretty hard at the end of the movie. Is there a movie, though? Uh, there absolutely is a movie here. Um, but this is the kind of movie that is a... It's sort of an unfolding of events rather than there being... I mean, every movie is an unfolding of events. But this is an unfolding of events that the viewpoint character has very little control over what happens. And... Honestly, no, no, but, by trying to interact with things makes it worse. But 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 wait, like for real, did anything ever happen? Or is this just a weird little folded movie where you run the movie of a book from the protagonist's point of view without like, in other words, the book is theoretically initially set up as a fiction within the universe of the film. So characters within the fictional film would consider the book fictional. Um, So is the reality of the unfolding film actually a thing that happens or is this just a book in the reality of the film? I will quote Dumbledore here and say, uh, just because it's all in your mind doesn't necessarily mean it didn't actually happen. Uh, 
Okay, but I, I mean, did it happen to anyone? There isn't anybody to whom this book happened. Uh, I have a different take on that, which is, I think he starts out as a real person, but as uh, basically Sutter Kane kind of absorbs him into his story and makes him a fictional character. Because I, you know, I know we're dealing with the whole, you guys with the flashbacks introduction, but I think that's the point is, He's the only one that knows that's supposed to be a real person who's now trapped in this book that is either melding into reality or not. It's, that's where it gets more confusing. Is all this happening in the book, or has the book changed reality? I mean, a, a wizard did it, so you've got nothing here. But uh, there is an implication to me that the laughing is the implication that this isn't even real. Because he laughs about this is real. Well, that's, that's the that's, laugh line. That's the, the point, right? Is that you don't know. And that's incredibly Lovecraftian. No, um, I think, I, think, I, think I, I read it not as a don't know. I read it as it isn't. It isn't real. Nothing, none of this was real. See, I read um, it as there's no way to tell from the context of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I get it. I, I, I took it a little. There, I'm reading in there. You're right. There's no clean line to it. But I just took it as like the end of Lost. Oh, it was they were all dead the whole time. Like he's just been a fictional character the whole time is what I read out of this. I took it the other way. He's uh, embraced that he's uh, no longer real. It's kind of like that he uh, – and more importantly, he's enjoying the fact that he's not the real person anymore, but the world's already falling apart. So he's going to survive. Because yeah, I, I, I thought about this more and more. Like as he's walking around, everything's gone to hell, and he's by himself. So he's sort of the the final winner. Like he's the he's the only one who's not going to be turned into a uh, a Lovecraftian creature because this is sort of like his uh, punishment slash uh, victory. He has to okay. do this for everything else. To do. Or reward. I I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I you know. could consider I, I, this if 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 Sutter Kane is the 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 god of the new reality and spares this man for helping him bring it about. It could be considered both a blessing and a curse, and and again, that's very Lovecraft. Yeah, all all of this can be read in, and that's the interesting thing about this movie is it can be read in multiple ways. Like you can play it straight, and that he is a person. This has all happened to, who is slowly losing his mind, ends up in a mental asylum, and then sinks fully into his delusion at the end. And what you're seeing is just him, his mind completely snapping and and divorcing it from reality. Right. Yeah, it doesn't cut back to him in the mental hospital, you know, just laughing. It cuts to him in the movie theater, laughing, watching himself. So that's that's kind of the idea. I mean, you could say this is he's just gone further into his psychosis, but yeah, you can you can read it as well. I would there though, because like who running the picture? He doesn't look like he ran the picture. They don't run themselves. Yeah, actually, uh, they do. Yeah. Actually, nineties. Yeah, in the nineties, in the nineties, they did because um, they were developed. They developed yeah. um, auto protectors. Okay. Digital. I, didn't they, I, I, I was not thinking that was there then, but I'll take your word. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you from working in movie theater, they were there back then. Once you set the movie up, you set on a timer and just run. You have to double check to make sure it's playing. That's the only thing. Projection okay. job back then was okay. just to put the script, put it together, and then let it run itself. But yeah. yeah, and it would run on a schedule, and it would just run continuously until you took the movie out. I mean, so the only thing I have to say about this movie is, like, it just felt like... So, for what I got out of it... Now, hang on, I need to do the three things. One, this movie does seem to be quite successful at what it's doing. I, however, can't properly judge it, because I just... 
so horror as a genre 85 percent bounces off of me i confess that now please don't send hate mail i just don't get into it uh, i will watch like comedy horrors i will watch like horror that has action film to it um but like just a straight horror movie has very little interest to me because um like it's it's an aesthetic that i don't appreciate it kind of grates on me so like when the tension music is going and someone's creeping along in the dark it's like nails on a chalkboard to me so i just get aggravated come on get on with this okay you're yeah. lingering over the scene please stop now they had a little of that here but it wasn't the worst uh but like this just felt padded as hell like yes 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 the children are spooky we saw that like four scenes already of spooky children can we just stop i know there are spooky children in this town i know the old people are spooky i know i know it's all so like they literally have the encyclopedia of spooky things i don't think they missed a letter well so <laughs> I, we should point out also the next film he makes after this is the remake of village of the dam which is evil children in spooky town so uh, Carpenter's almost kind of uh, playing around with this idea before then, but at the same time, uh, we got to talk about the Stephen King parodies here too, because it's they're yeah, that, that's... Stephen King, and that's a Children of Corn riff too. Yeah, no, 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 I mean, I see that. I actually wish it had leaned in a little bit more in the in the early scene in the asylum. I had like a little bit of like Brazil there yeah. and his humor of like the Carpenters even, but then that kind of dies out. And that made me sad because I would have liked a movie that was a little bit shaded more toward Monty Python and witticisms. I can see that. Uh, so I'll get into my bits. Uh, my history with this film is this came out when I was in high school. Um, I went and saw it in the theaters because we had a very lax theater. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I mean, I went with friends and we all, so we were sort of going through a horror phase um, at this time, you know, they were coming out with these sort of action horror films too. So you had like uh, synchronicity, synchronicity. Um, you had later on, I believe is you're going to have actually Sam Neill film event horizon. Yeah. Um, and there are some other, there's some other kind of action yeah. thriller action. Or horror illusion. Films. Lord he of gets Illusion. a lot of work on the bugging his eyes out. He gets a lot of work because his eyes will bug out. Like, does he have that illness that makes the eyes bug out? He does not. But, uh, I mean, Lord of Illusion. Another film I actually think is criminally underrated. Yeah. Um, we'll do that one eventually. I think and, uh, and I just need to rave on that one. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, so this film, uh, I, I was also starting to really get into, like, the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Um more specifically, the, the more science fiction-y than the, than the really dumb ones that are like, and the, the, like the horror of Red Hook is basically how terrible it is that immigrants live in the city. It's not good. <laughs> um, I mean, it's really racist and terrible. Um, but some of his other work um, sort of skips over that or only touches on it briefly. I mean, he was a man of his time. But um, I love, for example, At the Mountains of Madness – is one of my favorite short stories of all time. Like and, it's a legit good story. Um, I and really we point I, out this yeah, at the mountain mountain. Bruce and I talked about this, you know, Del Toro tried to make a hundred million dollar film with uh, Tom Cruise in the Hollywood was like, don't know if we if there's an audience for that. <laughs> so Lovecraft, well, it Lovecraft, Lovecraft is a famous for me. Hollywood. 
it's famous for being basically unfilmable um, in the same way a lot of genre writing is. But In the Mouth of Madness is a Lovecraftian-inspired story. But it's not a Lovecraft story, if that makes sense. It's, it's exactly. using tropes of, you know, what we perceive as reality may not be what actually is. And knowing too much about a thing can actually drive you insane. Um, under, like truly understanding how things work is detrimental to your mental state. Um, these are all very Lovecraft tropes. And things like the melding of reality and fantasy and all that. Again, also very, very dream quest of the unknown Kadath kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so... And I saw this. I mean, I like Sam Neill anyway. I, I'll watch most things that he's in. Um, and I really love his characterization here as this, like, bitter, burned-out, cynical bastard who's always looking to see the, um, why you're trying to scam him. Like, in every possible situation, he is just cynical about it. No interaction with anyone is ever anything other than an attempt by the other person to get one over on him. And yeah. that's why he's such a good fraud finder. I mean, the opening sequence sells the whole character, right? Uh, yeah, because I mean, he, yeah, he's he's gonna fight you. He does not bend at all, and that's the thing. I, which is probably why Kane likes you know depicts him really, because he's but you know he's not a um, he doesn't accept anything at you know as someone will tell him. He he has to figure it out on his own. He. And, you know, he's an investigator. You know, he's basically a, uh, you know, he'd be a film noir detective if there was a, if this was a different time period. So, I mean, there's a neo noir side to this that, once again, Carpenter's kind of exploring, but not in a direct way. Yeah, and uh, some of the weirder stuff is incredibly well done. It's got it's got some typical Carpenter flair to it. Um, the scene where he's running down the hallway. And the the old ones have burst through and are chasing him. I mean, those props could have been right out of the thing. Yeah, um, and you same crew too. I mean, that's that's uh, um, Stan Winton and Rob Botton designed that thing. Yeah. Out. I, I have a fun story about that too. So <clears throat> before this movie came out uh, in '93, um, you know they did this special on like mon, you know, because like, Jurassic Park had been a huge hit and how like monster effects. Done. So I watched this and. You know, they're showing how they did the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park. They're showing how they did, you know, all these classic monsters like aliens and stuff like that. And then they show uh, well, something they were just working on, which is that sequence. So we, I got to see the, uh, the sequence where they're building the old ones. And you kind of see a little edit of, of that. Okay, Sam Neill's going to be chased by this. But you don't see the finished product. But you do see them. So they were advertising this about a year before, showing that what they were working on. Which got I think it. is neat. Just once, I want the monster to be dry, though. They're always moist. Yeah, but that's I mean... Because moist that's is very... Awesome. So, the reason you find that, particularly like... Uh, so, Lovecraft hated the ocean. Like, <laughs> he was scared of the ocean. And that's why a lot of his, like, imagined monsters are very drippy and goopy and have tentacles and are like things that were being pulled out of the sea from the depths at that time. Uh, it's because Lovecraft is afraid of the ocean. I mean... Basically, you can look at any particular thing, see that Lovecraft... I mean, um, Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube has a great video on what Lovecraftian horror actually is. And it's basically all the fears of a man who hates everything but his own hometown. And is also a huge freaking racist. Like, yeah. 
that, that's pretty much everything. One of the um, worst, actually, human beings to be a writer. I won't say he's one of the worst. I mean, he had some really interesting ideas, but it's all through this lens, and you kind of have to yeah. make sure you understand that before you start talking about what an, what an amazing writer he is. I'm like, yeah, in some ways, he had some really interesting ideas, and he executed some of it very well. In others, he's literally just scared of immigration, and he wrote a story about how terrible immigrants are. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. Maybe yeah, that's anyway. So, um, but that's the I mean, like, great ideas. Maybe not the best person to be uh, mixing those ideas with his own. Yeah. Mind. Anyway, but this movie is definitely in that in that style of those who touch things that man was not meant to know will have odd shit happen to them, and that's this movie in spades. And. There's a lot of, I discovered that a thing I thought was my own was not, and a thing I thought was true is false, and a thing I thought was real is not, and the thing that I thought was me is not. There's a and lot I of- I remember it differently than what everyone's telling me. Yeah, there's a lot of just mind fuckery, as we would call it in the business. Right. And I mean, that, yeah, I the, you start out knowing that this narrator is crazy, though, so you just take everything with a grain of salt. Well, you don't know that he's crazy. That's the thing. Like, you know he's been locked up in an asylum and, and is told that he's crazy. But, like, no, a lot... No, no, no. He, he spent, like, the, the, the 24 hours decorating. He's crazy. Well, but at the same time, though... He... Yeah, but that comes later. You see that later. Like, or, or initially, you no, see no. him be in put the... in. When and the honestly... rolls in to talk to him, he's already got... He's decorated the room. That's but true. He's but... decorated himself. He's, he's crazy. Crosses, so he th- he knows, he's trying to protect himself. That's the thing I think is interesting. He's uh, and we find out Kane's still messing with him. Like he feels it. He knows there's after him, so he's drawing crosses to protect himself. So, right, but no, crazy. That so that's the like thing. He made a nice little magic ring around himself. That is just cuckoo, con- cuckoo for coconuts. Come on. Well, here's the thing. In the context of the movie, if you assume the villain is demons, then a person drawing a bunch of crosses and hoping that they will protect you makes a logical circumstance. How would Gandalf have done his circle of protection versus how did Sam Neill do his circle of protection? <laughs> Come on, guys. Well, he's Gandalf not... is a weird, and Sam Neill is a guy who, who doesn't know he's what he's doing. He's a crazy person. He's a crazy person. He uh, is a crazy... Well, is he, is though? Literally, there is literally he's no broken. doubt in my mind from the, the second of him appearing on screen that he has gone around the bend. Like, well, that is I don't what even know why that's... Fly. And and it's it's possible he is crazy, but if you assume that what he says is true, are his actions insane? That's the question. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all we get to like toward the very. If I thought I was a fictional though. character uh, being assaulted by demons, I might also draw crosses all over all my stuff. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay. Now we wow. know something about Will's mental stability. From the assumption of if I if if you take what he says as being true, are his actions crazy? They're crazy from the context of someone who knows no, they're, that they're they're still a little crazy. Not like true. even even following through the subsequent narrative, he took it badly. I personally would have just been like, "Well, fuck me, there are wizards," and you know, like nobody ever says that in these magic twisty movies. No one's ever like, "Are you shitting me?" A wizard did it? Like, for real? Oh, crap. Nobody ever takes it that way. Nobody ever has cognizance. It's like the zombie movies where no one says zombie. 
it's like this is magic holy shit there's magic i mean there have been a few where there's yeah. like this is really magic like where the stage magicians are really magicians and like ah craziness isn't that that lord of illusion one but like you'd like lord of illusion the there's literally out. yeah there's literally no self-awareness no other fictional awareness nothing just nothing like i i i, I don't um, i'm sorry that's where this is again why i should just say I'm a bad target audience. I I find I, I I find it very hard to stretch suspension of disbelief for this kind of film because nobody ever acts in a way that I would remotely countenance acting in this circumstance. Um, and secondly, like the universe is always just uselessly, you know, Mary Sue. Like the villain is always a Mary Sue in a horror movie. There's never any limitation. The villain is never set back in any material way by the actions of our poor. It, it's basically this kind of horror movie is a worm wiggling on a hook and it's pointless that's that's why i don't like this stuff like as a plot now as a set of little vignettes and scenes these are all masterfully done it's well shot it's well acted but at the end of the day i just kept skipping 20 seconds ahead because i didn't care about their reaction shot to the random crazy thing because it's just them boogling their eyes out and looking upset at the thing that makes no fucking sense just go ahead just roll with it at some point like the laughing at the end i'd have, I'd have been laughing all the way through I'm, holy shit we're an army of darkness now i would have just been looking for the shotgun and just start shooting things i mean come on why now, do you I, even still take it seriously after the 30 minute mark of this movie? I'm more like the one hour mark of this movie. Yeah, we should put this is a 90 minute movie. It's like, uh, which I give credit. Carpenter really was like, no, we don't need to make this too big. We oh, don't it felt to- like six hours watching it, though. See, I felt the other way. I felt it was going too fast. I was like, oh, wow. God, it was so boring. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, that's your take on like the, uh, and I, I will admit. When you have that that framing where it's a flashback concept, then you know, well, he's going to survive this and survive that, survive this. But for me, I want to know what 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 got him there. So that's what you know, movies like Fight Club and stuff like that, where they have that you know flashback, you know, framing work. For me, that's no, but I Fight Club that. still had a problem. Still had a twist in it, even though you knew what happened at the end. That, that that that's better than this, in my view. There was still like so. I'll I'll go with other movies. There's other movies where you kind of know it's going to go bad. Oh, I don't know. Life Force. You know that's going to go bad. Okay. But like the, the, the journey is a like, well, will they do anything about the problem? And they sort of do at the end. They do, in fact, solve the problem. Like there's never any thought that these characters can do anything. And that's the difference between a horror movie that I find uh, alien alien. Yeah. I'm pretty sure most of them are dying or maybe all of them are dying, but like, Will the spaceship crash? Like, there's there's wider implications of Alien that they made more movies out of the back of. Like, they can't make more movies out of this. Like, it, there's just nothing here, you know? I mean, I'm not implying it's a bad movie. I really am not. And I'm probably just too stuck in my own skin and preconceptions. I know a lot of people enjoy this sort of film. I know that this seems to be a well-executed version of it. But God help me, Tom, I'm never doing one of these again with you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're not doing that Lord of Illusion special after all. Yeah, no, don't worry. You, I try to say, well, you and I will handle that one. I, I don't, I don't think, I think Bruce will have a meltdown dealing with Nick. I like Lord of Illusions because I no, think, I think I've seen part movie. of that one. I think I've, I mean, it's okay. There is a sort of like, uh, or, okay, now that you know he's doing real magic, get the fuck out of there, dipshit. Uh, but never mind. 
Like they always Hulk. get sort of like involved. Yeah. By the way, let's bring up this. Okay, so Kane is you know we're if we assume Kane's supposed to be H.P. Lovecraft, but he's he's also kind of mix of both Clyde Barker and Stephen King. You know. So, sure. Well, Kane is supposed to have aspects. In the eighties and early nineties, Stephen King could not write a, a book that nobody that everybody bought. I mean, there was not a single book he he wrote that wasn't a bestseller. <clears throat> so. Stephen King's clearly the main, like, uh, modern, uh, you know, but at the same time, Clyde Barker for the bizarreness and, you know, the, uh, I, you know, if you ever seen interviews with Clyde Barker, he's about as, like, Bowie-esque as he can get. So, I mean, there's, because Stephen King's the most, like, nor- nerdy-looking guy possible. Barker is we- is weirder than Stephen King? Goddamn. Oh, well, Stephen to- King just was basically like, yeah, I write horror film or uh, horror books and i take I, I used to take a lot of cocaine and boy that was rough like it, he's, he's a pretty normal guy to talk to right yeah <laughs> and if you ask him well how did you get to come up with an idea for like christine he's like well i was pretty high on coke then and you're like okay and at I least you cars. have an explanation <laughs> yeah and i really like yeah. cars and i was like you know i just sort of came up with it and i started writing and honestly steve's uh, stephen king's writing is very i mean it reminds me of, like dean Koontz. Like these are very popular horror kind of horror suspense writers, and I mean I'm not a huge fan of Stephen King. I think he's written some okay stuff. I think he's written some good stuff. I think he's written a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, uh, I think a me, lot like, of people's it, output is enormously bad. overrated. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, for me, it's like he wrote like whenever he's been sober, he's written some of his better stuff. Like I thought the, the stand's really good. Most of the Dark Tower's fantastic. Oh. oh. But, the stand is long. Um, I thought the stand had uh, the stand has some good ideas tucked in it, but no. it goes on too long, and it, it in the end it's all kind of like, okay, fine, whatever, and then you move on. And I don't know. I was disappointed. If I'm if I if I'm going to point to a Stephen King book that I really liked, even though I knew it wasn't the best story, because it wasn't, is Needful Things, because that was an interesting idea when it came out. Now. Yeah. It, it was does, completely it super. It's, it's been completely super parodied and, and redone and overdone to death at this point. But when the book came out, Needful Things was unique and interesting. Okay. It's all not ha- anymore. All I have to say vis a vis the stand and the tower is that I have an open offer. I have an open offer. It was originally to J. Michael Straczynski because of the fucking Vorlons, but <laughs> I hereby put Stephen King in it. Stephen. Straczynski, whatever, Jay, I'm not going to give you your stupid name with the initial. I will pay you to go to any state college of your choice. I will pay full tuition for you to attend a philosophy 101 class. Please, for the love of God, before you write again. <laughs> I like the Vorlons. Oh, God, they're just literally, we have a multi-generational thousands of year conflict because none of us could do freshman fucking philosophy jesus christ yeah uh and and you know <laughs> my issues with jms are he should stay away from comic books completely he is wrote some of the worst spider-man and superman comics of all time so <laughs> yeah that's true he's really i don't like, i don't think he's good but i really did like babylon 5 uh, for what it doesn't it was. even meet sophomoric it doesn't even make it to sophomoric it's freshman yeah but uh, that's not that's not for the Babylon Five episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll, well, anyway, uh, we'll we'll get to Babylon Five later. No, but uh, but uh, yeah, when I talk about so, Clyde Barker, you know, Barker will talk about how 
Pinhead gets women gets nude photos from women who want to you know get have uh, sex with Pinhead. I mean, he's very like he he wants to talk about the sexual side of of horror. So that's where I take Sutter Kane's uh, is more Clive Barker esque than he is say, but it's Stephen King's like success. I, I think it's supposed to be sort of a melange of the popular horror writer, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't really say he's Lovecraft because other than the ideas that, you know, other than the implication that his books are cosmic terror from beyond that which man was meant to know, um, Lovecraft was not popular in his time. He was not uh, revered or anything except by a small circle of writers who all shared ideas and all kind of did stuff. They were basically the first... So they were like basically a big extended book club who all happened to write stuff. Lovecraft was not beloved in his day at all. Um, he died in poverty and his works survived because people like Derelith and some others kept them, wrote more stories in his universe and sort of pushed the idea that no, no, these are actually good. And for in some ways, they're very interesting, but in a lot of ways, they're also not very interesting. The Haunter in the Dark is great. I legit like it. The Shadow Out of Time is incredibly fascinating. The Call of Cthulhu is okay. The, you know, and then you got his Dream Quest stuff is kind of okay. But it's weird and different. And then you got his car. Then he's got a whole bunch of garbage like Cool Air, which is about the terrors of air conditioning. Um, I mean, for real, real, not for play, play. Uh, and so Sutter Kane can't really be part Lovecraftian but they're trying to sell this idea of cosmic forces beyond anything man could even potentially understand which is the idea and they're trying to how could we portray something you can't perceive or understand or even comprehend with your it's like it's like how does an ant contemplate a Wendy's it doesn't it can't you know an ant is physically incapable of understanding the concept of the fast food restaurant known as Wendy's or any other fast food restaurant. So that's what we're trying. That's what they're trying to portray on film here. And I think they do a pretty good job, even although it's basic. That whole idea of how do you show that someone understands that someone is trying to understand something they simply have no capacity for understanding and they do it through this series of weirdness and it kind of works. You sort of get the idea that these, that ideas have terror and that's kind of an interesting concept to think about, but it's also a pretty bog standard horror film, but it's very well executed. If you like that kind of film, if you don't care, if you don't care for basically what amounts to a, a character piece with very but instead of being about characters it's about a situation i don't know what they what you call those um you know, there's a, i don't know i mean maybe but well, i mean it's high concept horror i mean we're not talking you know kind of just like there's different types of you know high fantasy and low fantasy this is well i mean this is the this is the horror equivalent of deep impact right a comic Obviously. is coming. There isn't shit you can do about it. Good luck. Yeah. How uh, do you react to that? How do you uh, how do you react to a tra- like how do you react to a tragedy? Like a like a movie that's about a great loss, right? Like someone the, the movie opens and you learn a bit about, you know, protagonist A, and protagonist A suffers a loss they can do nothing about, like family dying or 
their country goes to war and, and you know, they can no longer Wakes return. Wakes up one morning it. turned into a cockroach. Yeah, maybe that. And that's kind Not, of existential. Good description. But, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's Kafkaesque. And, like, this, this is that kind of story. It is a story about how someone reacts to something that is so wildly outside their control or understanding that their only means of perception is to literally snap and go and think. And I think that's an interesting story. I think this is one of the better tellings of that story. There are bad tellings of this story. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I, I, I should be kinder. Uh, you know, according to my typical evaluation scale, does it, I, I, I cannot say with authority that they got what they were looking for out of it because I kind of don't understand what they were looking for. But it seems like this is a very successful film. Yeah, let's discuss a couple of things. I, you know, we we don't know the break. What's your favorite like scene in the movie? Oh, my favorite scene. My favorite yeah. scene is um, so the the book has just come out, and there's this sort of mousy glasses wearing guy who rush is rushing out of the store, and he runs into hobo Sam Neil, right? And Samuel's like, so have you have you read the latest Stutter Kane? And the guy looks up and his eyes are doing the weird thing that they've been doing through the whole film. He's like, yeah, I love it. I can't put it down. And Samuel just goes, well, then this isn't going to come as a big surprise and axes him to death, right? That is a wonderful scene because it calls back to so many other moments in the film. And it's sort of, you know, fearful symmetry, right? Yeah. Good stuff. That's my favorite scene. Uh, Bruce, what's your favorite? Yeah, you know, Cthulhu must like axes. There were a lot of axes, but um, uh, I'm just gonna say the Carpenters too. Like that was it. Like that line. <laughs> that line sold me a movie that I still am sad I didn't get to see because if he'd had that level of humor and awareness throughout, I would have enjoyed the film. Sorry about the balls. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a few of them. Like it needed like ten times as much of that. Like if that were a constant snark. I would have loved it. Smart, snarking at the Cthulhu apocalypse would be wonderful. See, for me, I actually love the um, the you know when the girls and we really talked about her how more further she goes crazy when she does the spider you know the broken the reverse back spider thing. I mean, that's a callback to the Exodus from a sequence they couldn't do originally or didn't work. I like that we get we start getting the weird body horror, but also we're getting film connections of stuff that doesn't that goes over a lot of people's heads. You know, this movie's full of yeah. like, weird movie references. Uh, yes, and I defer to you on that. I mean, I just want to say this. Like, sup- the idealized version of myself, if I were ever put in a supernatural circumstance, let us say that when I die, I find out to my great surprise that Jesus Christ is there and has something to say to me. Do you know what I would like? You know what I would love to have the presence of mind if I'm not, you know, shitting myself in terror. I, can you shit yourself after? You? Anyway, um, if, if I'm not unable to rise to my best self at that moment, so be it. But if I'm able to rise to my best self, what I would like to say to the judge Jesus would be transubstantiation. Really, dude, that's just get some help. <laughs> well, um... uh, good times. Now, uh, so I, I would like to snark at the, the, the metaphysical horror, please. Thank you. Okay. Uh, what do you guys think of the music? You know, we, Carpenter does all, all the music. What do you guys think? I thought the music was fine. Um, it's not as good as some of his other work, but it, yeah. it's serviceable. Like It, it, it was it's, a weird never... choice, actually. I, I, I liked the joke, but it's a weird choice. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I found the overall soundtrack to be fine. Um, my personal favorite Carpenter soundtrack is not Halloween, which is the one everyone would point to, but actually The Thing. I think the music in The Thing is amazing. Yeah. And like, he actually did the music for that one. That one's one of the Oh, uh, well. Yeah, he had Ennio Morioni, who, you know, does, like, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, you know, scores like that. He, they, he did that one. Well, that uh, guy did a bang-up job because that is one of my favorite, like, it's brooding – it's sort of bleak. It's ugh, I love the movie The Thing, and I actually love the movie it's based on. Um, yeah, they're both they're both favorites of mine What's for completely different reasons. I don't know. The music in this one just took me out of it a little bit. Like I kept noticing the music, which I think is a thing you're not supposed to do. See, I, I thought about that too because he's very yeah. good at doing stone scores. I, I kind of the same thing. Think he was kind of messing with it. You know, this whole film is about messing with traditional movie tropes and you know carpenters as we talked about in all these episodes he doesn't like to really go overkill this one he goes overkill but in a kind of almost punk rock way you know this i've said this is like a punk rock kind of take on a normal uh john carpenter film hmm. i, I mean i see that but i'd like to believe in it yeah, yeah that's an interesting take on it i don't know that i see it either well you think about this though he's breaking a lot of his you know you know, we talked about Starman, you know, Starman's about as uh, safe as you can get. You know, he doesn't go overkill in that one. Big Trouble in Little China, there's nothing like overkill when it comes to camera shots or anything like that. He keeps it very straightforward as well. He plays more off the humor and the action than he does like, okay, well, we need this weird effect or whatever. You know, the uh, you know Halloween, it's once again, the camera's very steady. This one, he's trying all sorts of weird editing tricks. He's trying all sorts of weird... You know, uh, camera shot. You know, I mean, the blue bits. I mean, that's something he's never done. You know, that's I, I thought was really neat. Just to randomly do a bit about you know changing the perspective of everything. Yeah. So th- I, I take this as this was his film. He's like, I'm gonna tr- do something I've never done. You know, before he did this, he'd done you know the two movies before this, he'd done They Live, which is about as you know, click, you know, low budget as you can get, but beloved for obvious reasons. Uh, memoirs of, of an invisible man which is high budget and you know not successful but also you know also with sam neill being a kind of psycho and after he does after this he's got uh you know village of the dam and uh, escape from la so this is i think where he's taking advantage of hey i'm john carpenter i could try something let me go at this yeah he got offered this movie like multiple times said no until finally he's like you know what i'll try and do, and do something with it because they gave him i think a lot of creative control Okay, that makes you know, sense. I would literally cut off a toe if I could somehow go back in time and have this movie end, or at least when the two characters were in proximity, have it be that Trent sees Kane, Trent throws a knife at Kane, Kane laughs, throws it back, but then he does the Jack Burton catch and rethrow. That would have been so good. That would have been so good. It would have made it would have redeemed this thing. It would have made it worth the time and effort. Well, all right, uh, guys. I think we kind of covered everything about this film. Uh, so, what do you guys think? Good, bad, or nerdy? Um, I want this. My heart wants to say good, but my head says it's very nerdy. Um, this is a a horror film. Horror film. It's almost a deconstruction of horror in some ways, but also a reconstruction. It's very. It's very. It's very weird, and I think it's a little too weird for mainstream audiences, and it shows in the box office receipts. Um. I, I, this movie has a strong cult following. Uh, I'm probably a member at this point. Um, but 
And there's a lot, there's so many little touches, so many homages, so many throwbacks. It's very, very nerdy. So I'm going to give this one a nerdy. Bruce? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not, you know, for me it was bad, but like, I, I think that's me. I think it's solidly a nerdy. It, it does what it does well. It, it shows, you know, it's layered. It's got all the things. It's got all the sauce. Um, I just, you know, sometimes a thing just doesn't agree with you. Yeah, I think nerdy is the most effective answer. Now, I didn't get to bring this up a minute ago, but so the first, uh, so I saw this on video, um, but amusingly enough, I think we'll, we'll get a kick out of this. Uh, my first date with Jen, we were, we, uh, it was uh, us, Kevin Angela, and a few other friends. We sat around and watched In the Mouth of Madness. So my first <laughs> date with my, the woman I would eventually marry and have children with was this movie. So that's, uh, I mean, that's it's quite a- refreshingly honest of you. Yeah, and, that's uh, quite a first not, date. Yeah, believe it or not, we had you know we had our first kiss. <laughs> well, there there uh, are worse there had... are worse movies to do this to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's not like we're making out in Chandler's List, but uh, or Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but, but okay, we have so... to do that. The we... ten worst movies to make out to. We oh, have to. That's... that's a list that's got to go on the Facebook. Page. Oh, that, that's a that's a really bad idea. But I, I, we'll do that for a special episode, like we did the other day. Oh. Um, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, this is a this film has a lot of personal meaning to me. But at the same time, it's definitely nerdy. I mean, there's as I you know, like I pointed out, there's film gags in here that only like hardcore film historian nuts will catch. There's you know overacting that's on purpose. There is. Just fun. I mean, some of the castings too. You know, we got Charlton Heston. There we got Sam Neill at the point of Sam Neill's like biggest start. I mean, if you looked at everything he made, the movies he made from like eighty nine to ninety seven, he's like in like thirty movies in such a short span of time. He did five movies in ninety four and you know, four nine. But he's always the same character. He's always the guy in the middle, like bugged out by the thing. Yeah, I mean, he did. He went from doing Jurassic Park to this film in like in, in weeks apart. So. But he's still I, the guy in the middle bugged out by the thing. Like, yeah. his reaction shots get him to work. It's what it is. Yeah. But that, that's what I love about Sam. You know, he's just one of those guys, like, he doesn't say no. <laughs> I'll do it. So, uh, so yeah, it's, this is definitely a uh, nerdy film just for all these kind of weird things. So, um, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, please, if you like this, please hit up on Facebook group, Fans of Good, Bad, Nerdy Movie Podcast, and also on Twitter, Good, Bad, Nerdy Movie Pod. Um, guys, thanks for doing this. Uh, Bruce, I know this was a strange trip for you but i know i wanted your perspective on this one and well i'm glad you were had just as much fun again with this did charlotte watch it with you no she doesn't care for horror films <laughs> yeah i tried to get jen to watch again she's like nah she loves horror films she's like, i don't want to do that again <laughs> <laughs> all right folks uh thanks for listening and please 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 if you're going to read sutter kane you know what don't maybe give that one a pass yeah yeah i mean especially don't read all of his books in in a row all right thanks for listening guys all right that was a good one i'm sorry i'm the worst for this i just like so (laughs) important